Okay, good morning, Freilich and Chanukah. I want to thank Abigail Alper for sponsoring this morning's Amunashir in memory of her beloved daughter, Rachel Leah Bas Abigail. Neshama should have an Aliyah. Okay, we're taking a break from our normal study. We're going to do the Slonim Rebbe on Chanukah. In case you didn't get the memo, today is Chanukah. And so to try to uh, combine our ambition for growing our Amuna, but within this Yantif of, uh, of Chanukah. So this is the Slonim Rebbe, as you can see the pattern, big fan. The Nesiva Shalom on Hanukkah, it's published as a separate booklet. And here on Mizmor Shir Hanukkah Sabayis the David. So he starts as follows. You see where we are? Yeah. When it comes to Hanukkah, we find two components. Nes Haneros, the miracle of the candles, and the rededication of the altar. The fact that the Syrian Greeks had taken over the temple and defiled it. So there were two miracles. One that a flask of oil lasted Longer than it should have. And number two, the miracle of the rededication of the Mizbeach. When it comes to the miracle of the flask of oil that lasted longer, that the Gemara addresses when it asks, what is the essence of Hanukkah? They contaminated all the oils. And we found one flask that really should have only lasted one day. But and a miracle occurred, and it lasted not one day, but eight days. And to commemorate that miracle, we light the menorah, the Chanukiah, we build up, it's a machlokis, basil, beshamai, do you start with eight and go down to one? Do you start with one and go down to eight, go up to eight? We follow the opinion of basil, we start with one and we go up to eight. We light for eight days to commemorate the miracle that it lasted for eight days. Just as an aside, the Beis Yosef, Rav Yosef Karo, asked the famous question, a question for which a sefer was published called Ner Lemea, which was a hundred answers to his one question. His one question is, why is Hanukkah eight days? It should only be seven days. Why should it only be seven days? Because after all, the first day wasn't a miracle. There was enough oil to last one day. The miracle was that it lasted seven more. So why is Hanukkah observed for eight days? It should only be observed for seven like I said, if you've heard a few answers to that, there are at least a hundred. Sefer Ner Lamea quotes a hundred answers, and there are many, many times that. But what's always struck me as, I think, in some ways the most obvious, but to me the most meaningful answer, is the following. In Ma'os Tzur last night, we began to sing. The, one of the stanzas ends of Ma'os Tzur, towards the end, B'nai Vina, the people who established Hanukkah, the Chashmonaim themselves, were B'nai Vina, they were men of great insight, of great wisdom, Penetrating wisdom. Yemei Shmona. What do the words Yemei Shmona mean? Translate. So they do not mean eight days. If you look, even the art scroll mistranslates. It says eight days. But it's not eight days. How would you say eight days in Hebrew? Shmona Yamim. Now that wouldn't work as well in the song. So therefore, clearly in order to be able to work, it's Yemei Shmona. But more than just working into the song, Yemei Shmona does not mean eight days. B'nai Vina, these men of penetrating wisdom and insight, established not eight days, they established days of eight. What's the difference between eight days or days of eight? It's like uh, Sesame Street, days that are brought to you by the number eight. That's the theme. Each one of these days is brought to you by the number eight. So the Maral explains that seven represents the nature of the natural order, the natural world. Seven are the days of the week, seven are the days of creation, seven is the natural world. Eight is one above, it's one more. Eight is the supernatural. Eight is that which goes beyond. Hanukkah 
is a holiday that eight days a year we remind ourselves that even that which looks natural is, new, is supernatural. Even that which looks ordinary is in truth extraordinary. You know, the Gemara tells the story of um, uh, the famous story of one of the uh, Tanam's wife who ran out of uh, oil. She wasn't able to light the Shabbos candles. He said, light the vinegar. Light vinegar. Vinegar is not fuel. Vinegar can't last. Vinegar can't light. And he said, why not? The same one who created oil and said that oil will serve as fuel and light, so too vinegar, vinegar can light. And so it was a miracle of the vinegar lit. What's the message of that story is? The only difference between the natural and supernatural is what we've come to take for granted. It's what we've come to expect. But the natural is no more natural than the supernatural, or no less supernatural than the supernatural. The only difference is how much we take it for granted, how used to it we've become. But the bottom line is that all of it is the will of the Ribbono Shalom. It all comes only with the providence of Hashem. It's only when Hashem wants it and wishes and wills it and allows it. And if He didn't, oil wouldn't light either. So the same one who allows oil to light can allow vinegar to light. And the theme of Hanukkah is, Hanukkah is not eight days long because the miracle was eight days long. The miracle was eight days long because the miracle was a miracle of the number eight. And so these days are not just Shmona Yamim, it's not just eight days, they're Yemei Shmona. They are days that are brought to you by the number eight. That as we live our natural lives in these eight days, we look and see that there's actually nothing natural about them. That if you can see and hear and walk, that if you have the miracle of life itself, I saw a great story that uh, Rabbi Ari Lipsteinman, who, who Aaron Lipsteinman, who passed away uh, yesterday, great, uh, one of the great gedolim of the Jewish people, he was 104 years old. So last year, a young man said to him, Rosh Hashiva, what does it feel like to be a walking miracle? So he looked at the young man and he said, I don't know, you tell me. And what was the message of the young man? It's just because I'm 104 doesn't make me any more of a miracle than you at 22 years old. If you're alive, if you're awake, if you're here, you're no less a miracle than I. Apparently when he was already 102 or 103, there was a doctor who told him you can't fast on Yom Kippur. So he said to the doctor, how do you know that? He said, because I'm a doctor. He said, well, really, how much experience do you have treating 103-year-olds? <laughs> So the doctor said, to be honest, you're the first one. So he said, so that means I don't have to listen to you. Who says you know what I can or can't do? And he went out and he fasted. Right? But anyway, the point is, how does it feel to be a walking miracle? Because you're 104. I don't know. You're 15. How does it feel for you to be a walking miracle? If you woke up this morning, you're a walking miracle. Who says you should be alive at 104? Who says you should be alive at 15? There are horrific tragedies of young people. And there's the longevity and lifespan of older people. And it all comes from the Ribbon Shalom. It's all equally natural or it's all equally supernatural, but there's no difference between the two. And that's the essence of, holiday, of, of Hanukkah, is that don't look at the world through the prism and wearing the glasses of seven. Don't see nature. Wear glasses of the number eight. See supernatural. See miracles all around us. Because there are miracles all around us. These are days that are Yemei Shmona. So come back to the Beis Yosef's question. Why is Hanukkah eight days? It should only be seven. The first day wasn't a miracle. There was enough oil to last. The answer is, the first day is also a miracle. Who says the oil should ignite? Who says the oil should light? Who says the oil should burn? Even that first day. That day, it's fine, it's fine, leave it. That day too is a miracle. So therefore, Hanukkah is eight days, one of which was a day that we would have taken for granted, seven of which seem to us to be outrageously outstanding, but all eight of which, in truth, really come from Hashem. So what should we be working on these eight days is giving halal and hoda'ah, 
not for when we see a miracle, but just not life itself is a miracle. Just life itself that comes together, that works out the things that we take for granted, they too are kili olam chasto. I always say this, the halal gadol. When we say Shabbos morning, those two columns, hodul Hashem kitov, kili olam chasto, and then we list everything. God created the world, and He made the constellation, and the moon, and the stars. Kili olam chasto, God, your kindness endures forever. And then we recognize all the miracles of God in history. You took us out of Egypt, and we all these amazing miracles. Kili olam chasto. And how do we end? How does David HaMelech end? No sin lechem lechol basar. I've shared this with you before. It makes no sense. What kind of end is this? It's so anticlimactic. God, you suspended the rules of nature and you made the sea split and you made ten miracles occur and God, you created the world something from nothing and magnificent constellations and the seas and the land. God did it all. And also, when I go to Publix, there's bread on the shelf. <laughs> bread on the shelf in Publix equals all these other things? It's so anticlimactic. Elamai, what's the answer? Yeah, kili yonam chasta. You know, I went to Publix and taka, there was bread on the shelf. There wasn't one bread, there was 20,000 breads I had to pick out of which one I wanted. Okay, maybe only one of them had a hechsher because bread, <laughs> for some reason bread is, doesn't have a lot of hechsherim. But when I go to the supermarket, just because I'm not a farmer in the field relying on the rain and waiting for the produce to grow and to harvest it, but the fact that we go to Publix is, or Winn-Dixie or wherever you shop is a miracle that there are these products and produce and they have hechsherim and they're so plentiful and there's so many to choose from. And there's not like one loaf of bread. I went to Russia twice in uh, the 1990s to visit my cousin who was running yeshiva in Kishinev. And in Kishinev, I remember there was a market and there was a long line of people waiting single file and they were waiting to get their half a quart of milk and to get a loaf of bread and it was rationed out and it was so little of it. We walk one apple, one slice of bread, one cup of milk, and we walk into Publix and to your heart's glory. They don't, when you check out at Publix, they don't say, I'm sorry, there's a quota, only three loaves a person. <laughs> They're grateful for you to buy an entire pallet of bread. So no sin, lechem lechol basar. You go to Publix, you can buy a pallet of bread, you go to Costco, and you, you, whatever you can buy. So, kili olam chasto. That is no less miraculous than the sun in the, in the sky and then the constellations, and the ten plagues, and so that, one second, the holiday of, of Hanukkah, the whole essence is Yemei Shmona. It's not that it's eight days long, it's days of eight. When you go shopping in Publix, in Costco, in Winn-Dixie, in the Grove Kosher Market, and the other new places, wherever you go, I'm sure include everybody, wherever you go, your shopping on Hanukkah should be different than it is the rest of the year. The rest of the year, you just went in and you left, and you bought your stuff, and you paid. When you shop on Hanukkah, you say, wow, it's a miracle. I see eight within the seven, I see the supernatural within the natural. And therefore, even the first night, even last night, is the biggest miracle. Even the night for which there was a flask, that too is a miracle. Yes, Hesha. Isn't there a story in Tanakh about a woman who burned vinegar? That's, yeah, that's what I referenced. So the vinegar, it, it, she was upset there was no oil. There was no oil. So, so burn the vinegar. Exactly. The notion, so that's when it comes to the miracle of, of the oil. That's our job, that's our mission. That's with our children to point out to our children, our grandchildren over these eight days that they shouldn't wish, oh, I wish there were miracles. Oh, I wish God revealed himself to me. Oh, I wish I w- and it lived in a time. You, you, what are you, you're, you're FaceTiming with your, your sibling in Israel, your cousins. You don't think that's a miracle? In real time, your face is going up to the heavens and down into Israel 6,000 miles away and you're talking to one another and you can see one another and you're telling me you don't live in times of miracles? 
I'm not talking about a thousand years ago they never dreamt that could happen. I'm talking about 25 years ago. We didn't dream that that could happen. We thought it would cost a million dollars and only who would have it. And if you had it, it would break up and it would be a delay, a time delay, and it could never work out. And now you could buy something on Amazon and have it arrive at your doorstep through a drone within five minutes. And you can go and you can FaceTime and you can watch. My father happens to be in Israel. But my mother was here last night. My father from 6,000 miles away joined us for candlelighting. Literally, his, he was there for, with us for candlelighting. And it was not on time delay and we didn't record it and send it to him and he had to download it. I remember when it first came out when we were living in Gross and the internet was just really starting. I remember I went, we had this, you know, the dial up, you dial up your internet and there was this cool thing. So I remember I downloaded on, on the laptop it was like an eight-second video of Michael Jordan dunking the basketball. I pressed the download before we went to sleep, and like 14 hours later, the eight-second video had downloaded. I showed, it was so cool. Look at this. It's so cool. <laughs> you can download it. You can watch it. Eight-second video. It's so cool. It took a half a day to download the eight-second video, which was all grainy and blurry. And we live in a what? So what, it's not miracles. These aren't Yemei Shemona. We're not living in Yemei Shemona. Yerushalayim, the capital of, of Eretz Yisrael, we're not living in Yemei Shemona. These are incredibly miraculous times. Again, the first time you used FaceTime, you said, whoa. The first time you used Waze, you said, that's incredible. Now it's like, oh, it's natural. It's natural. It's a big deal. It's natural. Some designers. It's a free app. I never have to buy it. My FaceTime is not working. It says that it's, it's reconnecting. What is this garbage? I can't believe this. It's, it's Yemei Shemona. These are miraculous, miraculous, miraculous times. And we can never, ever make the mistake of confusing the natural or the supernatural with the natural, the extraordinary, and seeing it just as ordinary. And what about the reconsecration of the altar? This is what our rabbi said. They contaminated the altar. And the Chashmonaim constructed a new altar and consecrated. It was on the 25th of Kislev that the construction of the tabernacle was complete. So we first began to use the Mishkan, the tabernacle, on the 1st of Nisan. But the construction of the Mishkan was complete on the 25th of Kislev, which happens to correspond with today. The name of the holiday, Chanukah, Kasav HaMarsha, the Maharsha of Shmuel Aydel's writes, Why is the whole holiday called Chanukah? It is commemorating the Chanukah Samizbeach. The reconstitution, the reconsecration of the Mizbeach. We read today in Shul, the Torah reading of Hanukkah is the dedication of the Mizbeach. Why is the holiday called after the consecration of the altar and not based on the candles? After all, if you ask me, which is a bigger miracle? Which is a bigger miracle? That you, a, you light a tiny flask and it lasted eight days? You know, the, every, I haven't seen it yet this year, but every year you see on the internet someone puts out a picture of the cell phone battery which said that it only had 1%, but it lasted eight days. <laughs> so that's the modern application of the miracle of Hanukkah. That your cell phone battery showed 1%, but it lasted eight more days. So which is a bigger miracle? That your battery was down to 1% and it lasted eight days? Or... 
that you took your kalim to the mikvah and now you could use them and cook in them. That your mizbeach that was contaminated, you purified and now you could use it. Would you, so we named the holiday after the fact that we rebuilt the altar. We did what was necessary to purify the altar. Uh, okay, what's the big deal? That's oh, nice. We drove them out. They had occupied, notice the word, they <laughs> occupied our temple and we drove them out and we recovered it and we purified it and we began to use it again. Oh, and also, this little flask lasted eight days long. So we name it after Chanukah, Chanukah Samizbeach, that we were able to purify the altar. What do you mean? The other miracle is much, much bigger. So why don't we name the holiday after the miracle of the oil? Why is the holiday named after the miracle of the ability to use the altar, the Mizbeach, once again? Amen. So this says the son of Rebbe, I want to explain it based on how the commentators explain the parak in Tehillim of Mizmor Shir Chanukas Habayis HaDavid. Le'ezah Chanukas Habayis HaKavana. We say every morning before Baruch She'amar, Mizmor Lamed, chapter 30, Mizmor Shir Chanukas Habayis HaDavid. So what is Mizmor Shir? A psalm. It's a psalm, David HaMelech wrote. It's a shir, it's a song. And what was the song composed for? What was the occasion for which it was composed? Chanukas Habayis LaDavid, for the inauguration of the Bayis. So ask the Salam Rebbe, Le'ez HaChanukas Habayis. Right, when, when a person buys a new house, or they build a new house, or they remodel a house, they hold the Chanukas Habayis. We emulate. That's the same word as the holiday of Chanukah. Chanukah, Chinuch, Chanukas HaMizbeach, Chanukas Habayis. It's all the same root. It's all the same word. I think I wrote about it last week. The Piyazetz Rebbe about the Chanukah to be Mechanich is to, is to usher something in for the purpose for which it was created. So when we hold the Chanukah Sabayas, you hold that party, what you're saying is that this home is not constructed for me to watch TV and eat good meals and indulge in the pleasures of this world. I'm, 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 I'm building not just a house, I'm transforming it into a home. I'm making it a, a holy, a sacred home. And the home will be defined by what happens inside of it, not by the walls of it. That's the Chanukah Sabayis. It's okay to know. So, this Mizmor that David wrote, Mizmor Lamed, Kapitel Lamed, Chanukah Sabayis to David. Which Chanukah Sabayis? Did David Amalek get a new palace? Did he get a new house? So it says the Slanam Rebbe, We say these words every morning before Baruch Sha'amar. What do they mean? God, Ha'alisa min Sha'ol Nafshi, you raised me out from the dungeon, from the Gehenim of my soul, you, you gave me life from the descent down to the pit. So when did David write this? I'm sorry, I skipped the line. Yesh Mavarim, Shazeh, Rashi, and Ibn Ezra explain which Chanukah Sabayis is this. When David HaMelech built the Beis HaMikdash, he established, he wrote, he composed this song to be sung during the Chanukah Sabayis, during the dedication of the new Beis HaMikdash. And David Melch was describing a life without a Beis HaMikdash. A world without a Beis HaMikdash is a world without Hashras Hashchina. What is the Beis HaMikdash? The Beis HaMikdash is Hashem's intense dwelling among us. There were ten miracles that happened daily in the temple. Mishnah Perkyavos tells us. Ten open miracles that happened. That meant that if you lived in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, and you had doubt or uncertainty as to whether there was Hashem in your life, you made your way to the Beis HaMikdash and you renewed and reaffirmed your faith. 
You saw open miracles and you couldn't help but, to, but believe that he was there. So the Beis HaMikdash is the vehicle for Hashras HaShchina, that Hashem dwells among us. You can palpably, tangibly, intensely feel His presence. That's why we've been suffering the last 2,000 years. What Golas, what Churban is, is Siluk HaShchina. It's when Hashem withdraws His divine presence and we feel a void, a hole, absent. We're struggling to make rhyme or reason for what's happening in the world. We're struggling to feel Hashem's presence in our lives. So David HaMelech says, a world without a Beis HaMikdash is a world filled with saras, gullus. It's the darkness of exile. It's the darkness of uncertainty. You know, Chazal already gave us the insight that uncertainty is, is one of the most painful things in the world. Someone waiting for the result of a test they took, it's almost better, they're almost more prepared to get the bad news than living with the uncertainty. Bad news, you can deal with you can learn to deal with. You can figure out how you're going to deal with. But the uncertainty is literally a form of torture. It's torture. Ein simcha kataras ha-safik. There's nothing more joyful than resolving uncertainty and doubt. Just making the decision. Knowing which direction you're going to go in, knowing what you have to deal with, knowing what you have before you. You know, if you've ever not felt well or someone near you has not felt well and you go to countless doctors and you just nobody can put their finger on it, you take countless tests and no one knows what's wrong. I love when our kids go to the doctor and there's something's wrong and they say, it's an ear infection, it's strep, it's this, it's that. When they say it's a virus, that's the worst. You have no idea what it is, how to treat it, how long it's going to take, when it's going to be gone. When they say, here's what it is, great. Pick up the antibiotic, get it started, you know it'll be a couple days, and Amir Tashem, they'll be back on the road. So David HaMelech says the Golis exile is characterized by the challenge of uncertainty, by not knowing, by not feeling, by living with this ache in your stomach. Why is this happening? And what's going to happen? And is Hashem here with me? And what is the Beis HaMikdash? It's Chola Shemitzrape. It's like someone's sick who got better. Oh, that's what my problem is? I just need to take this... this uh, I just need to take this packet of antibiotics. I just need to take this thing of steroids and I'm going to get better. Baruch Hashem, there's no better news than that. You already feel better even before you filled the prescription. Because you know, you have your medicine, you take it, you're going to get better. That's what the building of the Besamekdash. So here's the question on David HaMelech. I understand when we built the second Besamekdash, if you'd compose a song called Miz Mashir Chanukas Habayis, and you'd say in it, Hashem, you raised me up from Sheol Nafshi, from the, the dungeon of my, of my soul. You lifted me from the pit because I was in Gullus. You took me out of the Gullus and you brought me into the Geula. But the first Beis Amikdash, we didn't come out of Gullus. The first Beis Amikdash was not a return from an exile. It was the first Beis Amikdash. So some say, when did David say this? After he got sick and then he recovered. He was sick and he got better. This is the, the, the body, is the guf that holds the neshama. And when the body is sick, the neshama struggles to connect. It's very hard to feel connected with your soul when you're in pain or when you're lethargic, when you're debilitated. So some suggest, not like Rashi and Ibn Ezra, that when did David compose this chapter that we say every morning? He happened to have had a certain ailment, a certain illness, and when he got better, that's when he wrote it. If that's the case, what the parak refers to is David himself. That after he was sick, he got vibrant, 
He got his energy back. But this is also hard. Because if you go through Sefer Shmuel, if you go through the story of David HaMelech, you will not come across a story of his being sick. So that's difficult to understand. So says the Slanam Rebbe, you want to know what it's really talking about? Let me tell you what it's talking about. David HaMelech wrote this Mizmor, not having to do with the building of the Beis HaMikdash, because we didn't come out of a Golis. Not having to do with his personal illness or diagnosis, because we don't find the story of his being sick. Why did David write this chapter? For every one of us. Because every one of us in life confronts circumstances that we feel are going to shatter us, that we feel are going to knock us down, and we're never going to get up. When you are in that dark place, when you're going through that dark time, it's hard to imagine it ever getting better. Interpersonal relationships, one's own illness, one's own illness of a child, financial ruin, whatever crisis one is going through, it's hard to see a light at the end of the tunnel. It's hard to believe the tunnel has an end. You think this is your new, your new reality? Nothing could ever get better. It's just the worst. It's going to, we're going to collapse. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives you the strength and the capacity. So you know what this Mizmor is about? Says the Son of Mareva. When your inner home, when your inner world is on the verge of collapse and Hashem fortifies it and Hashem strengthens it and Hashem holds up those walls and Hashem allows you to rededicate it and to say, you know what? I thought my house was imploding my inner home, my inner world, my heart, my life, my hope, my family, my faith. I thought it was crumbling. I thought it was collapsing. I thought it was falling down. But Kodesh Baruch Hu gave me the strength. My faith enabled me to get through it. And you know what? I came out the other end. Coming out on the other end doesn't mean that the sick person got better. It doesn't mean the marriage made it. It doesn't mean that you made a financial, uh, all of a sudden you made millions of dollars. Coming out on the other end means that you had the strength to be able to deal with it. That you, you were able to put one foot in front of the other and live life. That you could smile again. That you had the resiliency to live life. I gave a talk on, at the Women's Health and Halacha Day, which if you weren't there, shame on you, because it was an amazing day and an amazing success. Um, and so my class was about... Um, what was my class about? How to be a good friend to someone in crisis. So I, I'm a big fan of Sheryl Sandberg's book, Option B. So her book, Option B, which is about resiliency, is not about how to get Option A back. She couldn't bring her husband back to life, her husband Dave, who died so suddenly. The book is not about how to resuscitate and resurrect the people who are gone, how to resurrect the life you had. Her book is about when Option A is taken away from you, how do you move on to Option B? I actually saw on her website, she has a whole website about Option B, that someone wrote to her, what happens when you're up to Option Y or W or Z? What happens when you're at the, up to the last options, when you've been through so many options in your life? But her, 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 the, the essence of her book, and she's using research and studies, she co-wrote it with Adam Grant, is how to live a life of resiliency and how to do option B when option A is taken away from you. So I want to be very careful to say that living a life of emuna and being able to have your own personal Hanukkah sabayas to rededicate your inner heart, your inner home, your inner world, is not about getting option A back. <coughs> Sometimes it is. Wow, I thought it would disappear, and it turns out I got my health back. Wow, I thought I had financial ruins, 
And it turns out, right, the people who lost all their money with Madoff, most of whom got back a very significant percentage of it. So the day that it came out that Madoff was a Ponzi scam and a scheme and they thought they lost all their money and they were in ruins was the worst day of their life. And lo and behold, many, some of them got much of that money back. So sometimes option A comes back. You thought it was a terrible terminal diagnosis. Turns out it was arthritis. You thought it was whatever. It turns out it was... Sometimes you get option A back, but more often than not, you don't. But the question is, how do you have the strength to move on to option B? How can you make option B your new, your new reality? That's what this Mizmor is written. In this Mizmor, David HaMelech articulates all that he had been through. Hashem I was in this pit, this dungeon, this dark place. Those who were there on Sunday, we showed the video from Brene Brown, the difference of sympathy and empathy when the person is in the pit. The sympathy is the person who's on top who looks down and says, wow, it looks pretty dark and cold and miserable down there. So sorry for you. Empathy is that you climb down the ladder in the pit, sit next to that person in the pit. So that's this imagery of David HaMelech and this Mizmor. That God, min sha'ol nafshi, the Gehenim of my soul, you gave me life from being low in the pit. David HaMelech is longing to Hashem. David HaMelech had a tough life. A rebellious son who wanted to kill him. A father-in-law who chased him and pursued him and wanted to kill him. Every direction he was being pursued. Eilecha Hashem and when he was in that dark place, when he thought it was hopeless, when he thought he was going to collapse, when he thought that this dark reality was his new normal and his new reality and there was no way out, what did he do? Elecha Hashem ekra. Hashem to you I call. V'el Hashem bidami. God, what good is there in my death? I can't serve you from this low position. What good is there in my suffering? Shama Hashem Hashem Hashem, listen to me and bestow kindness upon me and help me. Hashem, forever I will express gratitude to you. This was written, posits the Slanam Rebbe, not because David healed from a particular illness, and not because he built the Beis HaMikdash, he rebuilt his own home, his own life, his own heart, his own inner world. So he wrote it for all of us, that when we nationally or collectively go through a hard time, Imagine how this was said after the expulsions and the Inquisition, how this was said after the Holocaust, that a Kurdish Baruch Hu, you give us the strength, take me out of my hell, out of my dungeon, out of my pit, help me, and I will forever thank you. We can come back and strengthen. We have to re-inaugurate and re-establish and have a Chanukah Sabayis for the Jewish people. Are we not living in the time of the Chanukah Sabayis of the Jewish people? Is the state of Israel not the Chanukah Sabayis that the homes of the Jewish people were, were obliterated, were destroyed, six million? I don't know if you saw yesterday, there was a New York Times article with a picture of a menorah that was lit in a window opposite mm-hmm. a Nazi headquarters with a swastika. It's an unbelievable picture and a great story of defiance. Right, so of the menorah opposite the image of the of the swastika. So, if the Holocaust was the destruction of our collective home, is the state of Israel not the biggest menorah there is? Pursume Nisa of the reestablishment of of the Jewish people and of our home. Says the Salam Rebbe, it's not a coincidence, brought down a Mesech Sofrim, 
we just began it this morning, that every day of Hanukkah, even though we said Mizmor Shir Chanukah Sabayis the David before Baruch Shamar, if you're Ashkenazi, or, or whenever you say it, if you're Mrs. Sfard, but even though we already said it, we say it a second time at the end of davening. We say the Shir Shoyom, and it's as if the Shir Shoyom of Hanukkah is Mizmor Shir Chanukah Sabayis the David. Why? Because it captures this idea of the rededication of our lives. That when you thought it was hopeless, when you were despondent, when you thought that this was a new reality, that you could never climb out of this dark place, Hashem was there. We reach out to Hashem. We put our amuna and faith in Him. And either He gives us option A back, or if not, He gives us the strength to move on to option B, or option C, or option D. And with that strength to be able to lift our head high again, to be able to live life with a sense of resiliency again. Ya pisa yishlevar, ma'adamr my Hanukkah. And now we understand when the Gemara asked, My Hanukkah. And it answers, Oh, we found all these flasks of oil, they were contaminated. And when the, when the mighty Hashmanaim won, and they looked and they found only one small flask, lit and it lasted eight days. And one can ask, what was the Gemara's question about my Hanukkah? Isn't it strange, says the Stanam Rebbe? The Gemara asked, why is it called Hanukkah? And then it gave an answer that didn't answer the question. The question was, why is it called Hanukkah? We said, oh, they found the flask of oil that lasted eight days. Well, how did that answer the question? The question was, why is it called Hanukkah? And you didn't answer about the Hanukkahs and Mizbeach. You answered about the candles. V'agados marsha. The Marsha says that wasn't the question. It was a different question. But what was the Gemara answering? How did the answer correspond with the question? And all the more so. Why did we name the holiday? Okay, they rededicated the altar. Okay, so the altar became contaminated, they purified it, they were ready to start going again in the Beit HaMikdash. But that was a miracle that happened for its time. It wasn't an enduring miracle. If you say we were slaves in Egypt and we were going to be destroyed, and he split the sea and he did the ten plagues and we became a nation, that's an enduring miracle forever. If you say we got the Torah at Harsinai, it's an enduring miracle forever. We sat in sukkahs and we braved the elements and here we are to tell about it, it's an enduring miracle. They rededicated the contaminated Mizbeach, and why did they have to wait a year in order to establish the holiday? Why didn't it happen immediately? So he says, Because it took a year to see that the light would last. It took a year to break through and see light at the end of the tunnel. It took a year to see that this new reality, that option B, that the light could come back again. That the light of that Hanukkah candle didn't just last eight days, it's lasted now for thousands of years and it will last until Mashiach, the Meher of Yameinu, will come. If that's the case, the holiday should be named after and correspond with the miracle of the candles, not the rededication of the altar. The answer is that the rededication of the altar was not temporary. It didn't just happen in its time. But the message and the symbol of the ability to rededicate something which was broken, to take something broken and make it whole again, to begin to, to be 
alive and energetic again, that is something which endures. It's an enduring message. This is the idea of renewal, of a fresh beginning, of a new start, of the ability to break out. So what is the holiday of Hanukkah all about? The holiday of Hanukkah is all about two things. Number one, seeing the ordinary as extraordinary, seeing the natural as supernatural, as we spoke about. That's the component of the miracle of the candles. But it's also about the miracle of the altar. It's the knowledge that within us is the ability, within us is the strength, within us is the capacity, that when we feel broken, when we feel exiled, when we feel we are in darkness, when we feel that we are in a moment of churban, our family is a churban, our finances are a churban, our, our, our health is a churban, our, our, when we feel that we are in a place of churban, that we should know that we can once again rededicate, that we can rebuild, that we can have a fresh start. Just like the Jewish people were in a place of, of destruction after, after giving up. And in this moment, Hashem gave them great light. He said, just look through the tunnel. I promise you there's a light at the end. There is a light on the other side. Just look and you will see that light. There's a way out. You have the resiliency. You have the capacity. You can rededicate. You can start again. You can make it through. And I wish we could read the rest of this piece. But we're out of time. But this is the theme of Mizmar Shir Chanukah Sabayis David. It is the essence of what we can achieve and what we can break through with, with Hanukkah. And we have that power. So look at the lights. Tonight when we light the second candle, don't do what most people do, which is you get done with the mitzvah so that you can leave the room and go make the latkes and eat the donuts and give the gifts and move on to what you were doing. First of all, last night we proudly put all of our screens and devices in a bucket, put them aside for more than half an hour. We had incredible time together. That was the screen-free challenge we spoke about last week. But stay in the room and look at the light, and in the light, see your light at the end of your tunnel. In that light, see your better future. In that light, see the possibility illuminated before you that you're not stuck in the darkness of whatever churban you feel you're, you're held back by, but see the light of possibility of what yet could be. Happy Hanukkah.